It's good to be with you again to worship and share in the grace of our Lord Jesus. Mike asked me to preach from one of the early psalms to fit in the thing. We're working on Psalm 7. It's very fitting because across the world today, persecution of Christians has spread. Christians are marked as enemies because they serve Jesus. Across much of North Africa and South Asia, Christians are liable to be kidnapped or murdered because of their faith. If you follow the voice of the martyrs or other sources, you see that happening almost every day. In China and many Muslim lands, they may be imprisoned and beaten or executed. In much of the rest of the world, Christians are likely to face scorn and legal restrictions. The world is full of hate against God's people. In fact, persecution of Christians is so common today that it rarely makes the news. How many of you are aware that in Finland, a Christian politician and bishop are on trial for daring to express a biblical view of sexuality and gender in a teaching pamphlet? Did you know this? We need to take this seriously and respond in two ways. In the first, we need to be prepared to stand up for Christ, even when it will mean facing persecution. Until we do this, things will just get worse. It's increasingly important in Canada today, where we've had it so good for so long. The second will be our focus today, pray earnestly for deliverance. We take our lead from David here in Psalm 7. Four things. Persecution comes to God's people. God will deliver his people. God's justice will come. And we should praise God. Persecution comes to God's people. We live in a world that hates God. We don't like to say that. We don't, people don't want to say it that way, but this is the reality. We live in a world that hates God. Jesus said, John 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And then in verse 23 and following, he goes on, He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without cause. Those who cling to their own ways object to a God who tells them that they belong to him. He tells them that they are guilty if they don't follow him. Do you like being made to feel guilty? I know I don't. I don't think any of us do. And our society does not. They, so everyone who does not follow Jesus Christ carries hatred for God in his heart. It may be deeply buried. In our society, it probably is, for the most part, buried among people around, you'll see around you. Many of them will claim to be Christian. But Jesus doesn't just tell us, say, 
I believe in you. He tells us to leave our own paths and follow him. Not just talk, but do it. And many people would rather see God destroyed than change their ways to follow him. The present president of the United States shows this attitude very clearly. He claims to be a Christian, he claims to be a good Roman Catholic. And at the same time, he totally rejects and opposes what God teaches us in his word about preserving human life. We don't know Mr. Biden's heart, only God does that, but we clearly see him refusing to follow Jesus. In a world that hates God, persecution has to come. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It doesn't matter how rough things get, Christ gives his people peace. You may have read the book Tortured for Christ, the life of Richard Wormbrand, a pastor in Romania who was imprisoned and tortured for years because he stood for Christ. And he found peace in prison in Christ. He preached the gospel to his torturers and stood faithful in all that time. There have been untold others through the years who've had similar experience. God is there for you in your trial. Hatred for God, though, is expressed in antagonism to God's people. John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. How does that work? After the US election in 2016, when Trump won the presidency, members of a pro-Democrat mob assaulted an older woman, and I'm talking somebody in her 60s or 70s. Why? Because she was a supporter of Donald Trump and they hated him, so they also hated her. In the same way, those who hate Jesus will hate those who follow Jesus. They'll oppose our teaching, they'll mock our deeds, they'll scorn and attack our commitment. Hatred comes out in hateful deeds. That physical assault I mentioned on that woman and many others facing similar assaults. Malicious falsehoods against some. 16-year-old Nicholas Sandeman was at a pro-life rally in the States a while back. And as he waited for his bus home with others of his class, he was confronted by a Native American activist. And after this, there were many articles and news stories and partial videos of what happened, which accused this teen of starting a racially prejudiced incident. Within a day or two, the full videos were put out, and it was clear that the native native person was the one who started the incident, who pushed it, who made the trouble. Sandeman had been the one who was attacked. And those But those defamatory articles led to death threats against Sandeman. Why? 
because he was pro-Trump. And they hated him for that. And even when they were proven wrong, a number of the media refused to retract their stories. In similar fashion, those who follow Jesus will be attacked by those who hate Jesus. We should expect it. Persecution has come in every age. Israel in Egypt was attacked by the Egyptians. They sought to destroy the nation. David later, a few hundred years later, was attacked by King Saul. Saul's unrighteousness had lost him God's favor. While David was loved by God, he was an example of righteousness that everybody could see. So Saul and many others hated him and sought to destroy him. God's prophets down through the years were attacked when they called kings and the people to turn from their sin to God and the people and the kings didn't like that. So they attacked the prophets. Jesus came and he was crucified by his own people. All but one of the apostles died as a martyrs. The early Christians were attacked by Jews in the Roman states. and Later, the faithful were even attacked by the institutional church. That was most obvious in the period around the Reformation. The perhaps singular outstanding event was the burning at the stake of John Hus in 1415. Still today, in many parts of the world, Christians are seen as fair game. Even in our Western so-called Christian countries, there's rising opposition to Jesus Christ. Christian practices and Christian teaching are under attack. Our federal liberal party says that uh, those who stand up for the Bible's teachings on abortion and sexuality may not run as candidates for the liberal party. Christians, those who follow Christ truly are excluded. In much of the COVID-19 pandemic, churches in BC were forbidden to meet physically, but the bars were open, they were packed. Trudeau's government is attacking crisis pregnancy centers, centers where people are offered help when they have a problem abortion, something to enable them to not proceed the route of abortion. They're under attack. And most of these are Christian, and Trudeau's government hates that. Persecution is a reality we need to face. It's growing in our land. It's visible all through the world. Opposition to God, at root hatred for God, leads to hatred for all who follow him. So when you face a world of hate, where do you turn? Well, the message of our psalm is that God will deliver his people. God is his people's defense. We cry out then to our covenant God. Oh, Jehovah, my God, in you I put my trust. Verse 1 of the psalm. Here as throughout the Bible, prayer is only acceptable through Jesus Christ. Many of us have taken part in Zoom meetings in the last years. And it hasn't been easy to get out to regular meetings. To access the meetings, as you mostly will know, you need to have the right link on the web and the password for that meeting. And if you refuse to use them, you're left out. You choose not to use the means to get on and you're, you're not on. Jesus tells us that he 
is the way to God. No one comes to the Father except by me, John 14, 6. So you come to God trusting in Jesus, your Savior, as David did. Jesus knew him as Jehovah God. He didn't know the name Jesus yet. But when you do that, it assures you of welcome at the throne of grace. But remember, saying, I believe in Jesus, does not prove you are indeed his child. The mark of his people is that they follow him. We're not perfect. No one of us is perfect. But we come to him with a commitment to walk in his ways. And when we sin and face our sin, we confess it, we turn, turn from it, seek God's help to change. We're following him. David prayed explicitly that he be left in the hands of the enemy if his life showed that he was not God's child. Psalm 7, verses 3 and following, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hand, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. We should understand that David is not here claiming that he's free of sin at all. But he was being attacked unjustly. He had not done evil to his friend. He hadn't attacked his enemy without cause. He's likely referring here to his dealings with King Saul, who accused him of being a traitor, even though he was carefully loyal throughout Saul's life. Given the opportunity in different times to kill Saul, he did not. But it cuts much deeper. David is asserting that he was not living willfully in sin. He called on God to judge him because he was confident that he was living as God's child. It teaches you to look to your own heart when you cry out to God for protection. If you're continuing in sin without repenting, you have no claim on the God of justice. That unrepented sin calls into question your claim that God is your God. If God is your God, you will repent. You will turn back. You will turn away from sin to follow Jesus. Sometimes slowly. None of us are perfect, but we will do that. If you choose to depart from God, though, don't expect him to be there when you decide you have a need. You need to turn to him now. Examine yourself. Examine yourself even now. Cry out first of all to God for repentance, for renewal. Turn from your sin and beg for forgiveness and cleansing in Christ. When Christ clears away your sin, you're in a position to ask God to deal with your enemies. You can come to him as a righteous person because you've been cleansed. Verse 9, oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is the defender of his people. He's your defender, my defender, as we walk with Christ. Strength doesn't lie in numbers. Israel saw that again and again through their life. A few who walked with God defeated vast armies. Once it was a shepherd boy against a giant. You know the history of David and Goliath. And David, not yet full grown, killed the giant that everybody was afraid of. 
with one stone from his sling. Gideon was sent out by God to clear away those who were attacking his people. He took 300 men. God said, you can't have any more. There's too many. We want you to, people to know it's my hand that works this. And he took 300 men and routed the armies which were gathered to destroy Israel. Strength doesn't lie in horses and chariots, in tanks and missiles. Even it's a bit, a bit off topic, it doesn't even lie in vaccines. It's God who is our defense. Our hope lies in him. So cry out to God for deliverance. Verse 1 and 2, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. The heading tells us that the psalm is David's response to the words of Cush, a Benjamite. He would be one of King Saul's tribe. And presumably this member of Saul's tribe was accusing David of evil deeds, perhaps of treason. Although the attack is in words here. Words, the result may be much more. Words lead to all kinds of problems, words of accusation in Muslim, land, Muslim lands may bring many Christians to trial and even if they're acquitted they may be killed by the mobs because of words spoken against them. Even verbal persecution then is worthy of your prayer for help. Cry out to God for help. Far more when God's people are assaulted and killed, cry out to God for help. Look to the king, the ruler of all things, to deliver us. And your prayer should be as much for others as for yourself. David in this psalm is focusing on himself. He's the sample of God's people. But all through the Bible we're taught to love our Christian family, not just ourselves. Paul tells the Philippians he's glad of their prayers for him in his suffering. It's good. Jesus gave us a pattern of prayer. The Lord's prayer. And the pattern is deliver us. Not deliver me. Deliver us. From evil or from the evil one. Matthew 6 verse 13. And so you should pray. Not just for yourself. But for your brothers and sisters in Christ. To face persecution. And all the more pray. As most of those our brothers and sisters across the world face far worse attacks than we do here. Let your heart open to those who are your family in Christ and cry out for them. Pray because you can trust God. He is your loving covenant father. He's chosen you as his people, bound you to himself in the covenant, the covenant in which God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he won't turn a deaf ear to your prayer for yourself or for others of his people. He's the sovereign Lord of all creation. He's able to do something. He's not a, one of the imaginary gods of the people who really can't help it because there's a God of these other people who's strong and he can't, he can't overcome that. Our God can do what he chooses. So pray to him. It doesn't mean you'll be freed from attack in this world. 
you may or may not be freed from attack. Many of God's people walked down to the grave praying, but they knew they were in God's hands. Whatever happens to us in this world, we are held in God's hands. In John 10, Jesus says we're in the Father's hands and nobody can take us out of his hands. Nobody's strong enough to take us away from Jesus and from the Father. Evil may seem to prevail for a time, but it will be cast down in the end. Pray, because he will deliver us. God's justice will come. Our God is just. Psalm verse 11, God is a just God and God is angry with the wicked every day. When you see injustice, do you say, oh, that's nice? Or do you get angry? Isn't it true that injustice makes us angry? Well, how much more than will the righteous God, the perfect God, be angry when people are unjust? When evil people attack God's people, God sees it and he cares. He's angry with the wicked. The God of justice cannot tolerate evil. The evil cannot come into God's presence and survive. He may for a time delay his action, but his justice will be worked out in full in the end. We may not see it in this life, but we will see it as we walk with Christ in eternity. Psalm verse 7, verse 8, the Lord will judge his peoples. Judge the people, sorry. Both righteous and unrighteous will appear before God's throne for judgment. Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus tells us that God will separate them, one on one hand, one on the other. And the righteous will receive God's blessing through Christ. They will receive his blessing because their sins are covered by Christ. And God looks at them and says, there's no penalty left to pay. You're free. You're righteous in my sight. Christ has paid for them. So the righteous are granted God's eternal favor. All those who follow Christ. Judge me, O God, Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the, my integrity within me. God's people dare pray like this because of Jesus. If we did not have Jesus, we couldn't say that. My integrity within me, and you know how far you fall from that. But when Christ covers your failures, then you have integrity, his integrity. Our sins are covered by his sacrifice for us. Judge me by the righteousness which Christ has given me. And the righteousness which he is building in me. But for the unrighteous, well, they have to face God on their own merits. They aren't covered by Christ's sacrifice. Not being covered by Christ, they will be condemned, as you and I would be if we were not covered by Christ. God tells us the guilty will be cast down, perhaps cast down in repentance. In verse 12, we read, if he does not turn back, God will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. But those who turn back from their sin will be spared. There's a place for repentance. There's a place for saving. We, this is why we confess our sin and ask God's cleansing and, as we turn away from sin. 
Think of Paul on the Damascus Road. Here is the man who is the, the greatest enemy of God's church in that time, who is going out, searching out Christians, binding them, bringing them in to be tried and punished, executed. And he was on his way with a troop of men to do just that, and Christ met him. He had a vision of Christ, and Christ challenged him. And Christ reached into his heart, and Paul, the persecutor, the killer of God's people became one of the chief leaders of the early church. He changed. He repented. He turned back. He discovered that he was fighting his God. And he turned to follow him. And he was cleansed by Christ and spared to build the church. So pray that you and your persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ may be delivered as our persecutors repent. As they turn from their wicked ways to Christ, pray that those persecutors may change. Think of the blessing when that happens. Think back uh, around 300 AD when Constantine had his vision and turned to at least formally be a Christian. How blessed the Christians in the Roman Empire were when all of a sudden the Roman Empire stopped persecuting them and welcomed them, encouraged them instead. Pray for such changes in the hearts of those who attack God's people. And pray and remember that the unrepentant will be destroyed in the end. Verse 13, he also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shaft. God stands in judgment against those who oppose him. And the wages of sin is death. As we look at God's justice, we can see that often sinners are cast down and destroyed by their own wickedness. Verse 14 and following, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. He builds more sin and evil. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head. His violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Those who associate with thieves can expect to be robbed. Because thieves, that's what thieves do. They rob you. And if you join their number, then you're not safe. You're with them. Their wickedness produces more wickedness and they themselves experience the cost. But it's not just in this world. The pit which the wicked dig includes their access to the pit of hell in the end. Judgment on this earth does not complete God's justice. The end of the wicked is eternal destruction in hell. As our God guards his people. As you look at this persecution, you praise God. As David knows that God will deliver him, God will look after him. He calls you to praise. He shows you an example of this. Even in your trial, praise the God of justice. Verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Praise God according to his righteousness. Praise him because he is just. In this unjust world, we have one who is just, who shows us the path of justice, who leads us in that path. 
even though you see only a small part of his justice, his justice means that you and all who are God's children will be delivered because he would be unjust to Christ if he did not deliver those for whom Christ died. Praise him for present deliverance. As you see your enemies turned away, praise God. Praise him for hearing and caring. As you see some of his people spared in this world, praise him for saving his people. We see a lot of that, not everybody. Praise him for final deliverance. Praise him because you and all of his people will live with him forever. You may go through untold trials in this world, but in the life to come, you'll be free of that. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow. Because God will be there and holding you and guarding you. All evil will be cast away. Your enemies will be cast down. You will be exalted. All persecution will be ended. Even now, you can rejoice in that coming blessing. Praise God because he's worthy. Sing praise for the name of the Lord Most High, we read. He is the exalted Lord of all creation. We have this great new telescope out floating around the earth, put out in the last few months, looking into depths of the universe that we've never been able to penetrate before. And it doesn't matter how far you look, God's there and beyond. It's all in God's hands. And they can track down billions of light years, but it's all in God's hands. His hands are big. His hands are strong. The whole creation is his. He's your covenant God, Jehovah, your Savior. It doesn't matter how dark the scene you see. Behind it lies God's glory, God's light. I am reminded of a book I've enjoyed. Toward the end of the book, the good guys were surrounded by an enemy army, far outnumbered. And then suddenly out of the woods round came a horde of monsters to join in the attack against them. It looked rather hopeless. And then an army appeared behind the monsters, an army from which those monsters had been fleeing, an army which quickly cleared away all their enemies. The darkest moment foreshadowed their redemption. Though God allows great darkness to afflict us at times, even though we may not see it right now, his light encompasses us always. He's there for us. Remember to praise him, praise him boldly, praise him freely. We're reminded to turn to God in times of persecution. And it's always a time of persecution. In our land, it's, we've been spared much of it for centuries, but there's always persecution of God's people. Turn to him for deliverance. And that starts with turning to him for deliverance from your own sin and your own guilt. If you've never done it before, ask him to enthrone his son Jesus in your heart. Ask him to be your God. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to free you from slavery to Satan, the cruel. And then seek out his help against the attacks of people around you. And cry out to him for other Christians who suffer as you do or often much more than you and I do. He is the just God. And you can trust him to care for his people. Lift up your heart and your voice to him. Let's pray. Father, 
we come to you. And as we come to you, Lord, we are filled with relief and joy that you are God, that you are just, that you are able to do all things, that you care for us. And Lord, we see your enemies running through this world today very broadly, very extensively, with terrible persecutions of your people. But you are still God. And we'd ask you to guard your people in every place. Guard us, guard us from the sin which is in our hearts. And turn us away from it. If there are some here who have never before turned to Christ, show them Christ now and show them their need for him and bring them to the joy of Christ instead of the cruelty and pain and hate of Satan. Take each one of us and renew us in Christ, cleanse us, help us to turn away from our sins more and more day by day, and guard us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.